This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been in a series called Not of This World, and we've been going into the book of Hebrews, doing a deep dive in the book of Hebrews. Have you guys been enjoying this? Did you guys enjoy Pastor Jim last week? We took a little bit of a break. I, I, thought, I thought what he had to say and share was so good and so helpful. But I, I have such a passion for this book right now. With everything that's going on in the world with Israel and with the call to pray and to be a praying church and an accessory people, I opened up the book of Hebrews at the start of this year and I just felt like, wow, there's just so much for us right now that applies to where we are as people living in the earth today. Hebrews was written to a group of believers in Jerusalem who were experiencing persecution. Nationally, economically, the government, what was happening with their kids, what was happening within the culture was all putting pressure on them to acquiesce to the culture and to the demands of the day. And as a result, they were feeling that pressure from within and from outside of their own uh, community. And at this particular time in history, the church was exploding in growth. It was expanding all throughout the earth. Jesus had come, he died, he rose, he ascended, he gave gifts by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is the, the record of all that the church did through the power of the Holy Spirit in those early days. Well, at that same time, the pressure was on in Jerusalem and the believers that stayed, who came out of Judaism, who came out of, of all of that, who were Jewish, we're struggling with how do I now take this gospel, this good news that Jesus has given to us and spread it in my community? How do I tell my friends and my neighbors the good news about Jesus? And so the book of Hebrews was written to help these believers figure out how to do that. And so we've been going through the book of Hebrews kind of verse by verse, kind of chapter by chapter, looking at particular themes and ways that can help us learn how to live in the world, but not be of the world. Say in the world, but not of the world. We live in a world that is, let's just say controlled by all sorts of forces. Spiritual forces of darkness and evil. Do we agree? Some of you do. <laughs> Political forces of evil. <laughs> right? And for those of you that have lost faith in the political system, can I just encourage you? Your citizenship is in heaven. And I believe that we are called to use our voice and be involved in politics and do all we can to be change agents and to be a redemptive presence in politics and wherever we go. So this is not saying we, we are called to abandon the world, but we have a certain specific particular calling on our life as to how we are to live in the world and not be of the world and how we are to use our influence and how we are to steward our wealth and our giving and the way that we invest in eternity and changing lives. We have a calling for that and it's a peculiar calling. It's strange. Uh, this is dating me. There was a band back in the day called Petra. Do you guys remember this band? I, I love, I love Petra. Like I'm a guitar guy. I'm a rocker. So I loved Petra, but growing up, I wasn't allowed to listen to Petra cause it was considered too worldly. <laughs> Matt's about to have a heart attack over here. <laughs> <laughs> so my parents would be like, no Petra in our house. You can't, it's too worldly. 
And I was like, but I like it. The guitars are awesome and the voices and all that. Well, eventually they, they got over their religiousness and were like, this is good. <laughs> this is great stuff. And they used to have a song that I think it was called uh, Pilgrims in a Strange Land. You guys remember that? And it, and it references this idea that we actually find here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 14. If you have it, let's put it up there on the screen. But it says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Some translations say a city yet to come. And there's reference to Abraham and his faith and his putting his faith in God, having this expectation for this heavenly Jerusalem, this heavenly city, this promise that was yet to come that had yet, not yet been fulfilled in his lifetime. And as the church of God, we step into that reality as those that get to be participants in the blessings and covenants of Abraham. But there's aspects that have been fulfilled and there's aspects that are still yet to come. So we live in this tension between the now, what we call the now, and the not yet. Now and not yet. When Jesus died, he established the kingdom of God on the earth, but he didn't consummate it fully, meaning that the kingdom is here and it's also coming. Amen. It's here, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit available to all that call on his name, that receive him as Lord and Savior, but then there's aspects of it that are still yet to come. How do I know that? Because there's still sex trafficking going on in our world. There's still problems of evil in our world. And if the kingdom was just consummated and it was here and Jesus was already reigning, I would have some problems with our king. I would say, what about all this, 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 and this? And if we want to push it a little further, I'd open up my heart and say, what about this, 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 and this, right? Where you're not completely yet king and fully Lord yet. So we live in this tension between, okay, God, we get, to, we get to be participants of the kingdom. Now we get to preach the gospel. Now we get to hear the good news. Now we get to be healed and set free and delivered from sin and the bondage of sin now. But yet our bodies long for the redemption that is to come, our salvation that is coming with the return of the Lord. When we'll put on that which is imperishable, some translations say immortal, but when we put on heavenly bodies, glorified flesh, that you can touch, but that, that has immutability. It's imperishable, Paul says. So we don't have that reality yet. So we're in, this, we're in this, this tension. And the writer of Hebrews says, guys, this world, what, what we see around us right now is not permanent. It's not lasting. For those of you that are a little older, a little more seasoned in your faith, you know that, that things don't last. For those of you that have lost your hair, you know that things don't always last. <laughs> <laughs> so this world is temporary and there's some things yet to come so throughout this series we've been kind of leaning into this and saying okay how do we then how do we live in light of this reality how do we we do this practically in our day-to-day -day? and we're, we've put together for you what we're calling a a practical guide for uncommon living because there's something that God wants us to be peculiar about, something that's uncommon to the way that he calls us to live. Pick it up from where we left off, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 15. All right, we're going to move quickly now. It says this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Who is he referring to, class? Come on. Jesus, <laughs> but the one, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call 
them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his family. And so the question I want to lead with today is this. If Jesus is not ashamed of us, why are we so ashamed of him? The title of my message today is Be Not Ashamed. And I want to begin with this question today. If Jesus is not ashamed to call us his friends and his brothers and sisters, why are we so ashamed to tell other people about him? If that's true. Now, I recognize that many of us, the challenge that we have in having conversations with other people about Jesus is disrupted by busyness. Interrupted by busyness. Anybody find yourself busy? Would any of you just love to have a conversation with your spouse without your kids interrupting your conversation for three minutes? For parents today? (laughs) So we contend with that. We contend with the busyness and the distractions and the interruptions. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the notifications and the text messages and all the things that are releasing dopamine in our brains that are causing us to get, you know, diverted and distracted in our life. So a lot of factors at work. But I want to give you some some good news. And here's some some better news from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. You guys, God is a helper And Jesus said to the disciples upon leaving this earth that he would leave so that the helper could come. The advocate, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to finish the work would come and live in you and me and all that confess Jesus as Lord and yield their lives to him. That power could be ours, that freedom could be ours, that we would have an ever-present help. We have a helper and God wants to help us because, once again, he's not ashamed of you. Matt touched on this already today, but so many of us get locked down in shame. We get get stuck in this shame cycle where we start feeling bad about who we are because we've lost sight of who God says we are as forgiven, as redeemed, as justified, as holy, as those being sanctified by the power of his spirit. So why, why this, this shame cycle? Well, I think a lot of it is because we get our eyes off of what he says and we start believing the lies of the enemy and the lies of people and the lies of those around us. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone. Say everyone. Everyone who believes. So What are you saying, Pastor Jason? I'm saying if you want to break free of your shame cycle, you need to believe. You need to believe the gospel. You need to believe a better story. You need to believe the only story that will actually have the power to change and transform your life. All the self-help books, all the Tony Robbins, all the Deepak Chopra, all that stuff, as great as it aspires to be, can't change you. It doesn't have power to transform your life. Now, it can teach you a few things. It might help you add some extra disciplines to your life and and strategies and and methodologies and methods, but it has no power to rescue you from the grip of the evil one, which Hebrews 2 has already said, to set us free from the fear of death and the one who holds the power of death, namely the devil. That's why Paul invested in this gospel. He said, I'm gonna take this gospel to the ends of the earth. 
until it kills me, and it did. <laughs> Most of what he wrote, he wrote from prison. Last time I checked, none of us have been on our laptops in prison writing emails. <laughs> well, maybe some of you. Maybe a few of you. <laughs> but we get sucked into that shame cycle, and then number two, we get sucked into this fear where we start to fear what people think about us. We start to become afraid of what people might think about us should we tell them what we believe or share the good news or gospel of Jesus with them. And that's kind of where I want to hone in today. How do we practically overcome our fear of sharing God's story with others? How do, how do we overcome our fear of being so ashamed of the name of Jesus when we feel the Holy Spirit's voice welling up inside of us when we're with people that we know clearly need to hear good news? They need to hear our stories. Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, it starts by fearing God more than we fear people. It starts when we fear God more than we fear people. And I think this is where many of us get tripped up because many of us are more afraid of what people think than what we are of what God thinks. Many of us are more afraid of being rejected by people than we are of being rejected by God. And let's face it, this is one fear that most of us struggle with, the fear of rejection. Men, when your wife says something and you walk away angry, you're not angry with your wife. You're angry at the feeling of being rejected. You might want to write that down. That was good. That was... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? She gives you that look. And you're like, why did you give me that look? All right, I'm talking to the emotional men in the room, okay? So we're like, here, a couple of you. Why'd you give me that look? What look? You know that look. What did I do to you? Can't you just hear the, monologue, the inner monologue? You hear Pastor Jason's inner monologue? Gosh, why did she reject me? That hurts my feelings. My feelings are so hurt. <laughs> All right, maybe some of you ladies. Why didn't my husband notice that it was our anniversary? He didn't get me any flowers this year. Does he not love me anymore? He forgot my birthday. Men, don't ever forget your wife's birthday. Don't do that. And if you had... If you have, ask for lots of forgiveness, but don't ever do it again. <laughs> and I'm being comical, but the truth is that we don't like to feel rejected. But let's face it, in this life, we are gonna face rejection, every single one of us. Jesus himself faced rejection. Listen to what Jesus has to say about the matter. Luke chapter nine, verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone, if anyone, is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and his holy angels. Luke chapter 12, he continues, verse eight through nine. I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. Whew. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Friends, Jesus' goal in saying this is not to earn more brownie points with his followers. He's not trying to get more likes. He's not trying to build a following. This is not how you do that. <laughs> He's not trying to build a crowd either. He's trying to honor his Father in heaven. He's trying to show them the way that we fear God, which means to honor and revere 
God, no matter what the cost, no matter what people say or do to us. And in the same way that you and I honor and revere God, we do so by honoring the one that he sent to suffer on our behalf. His name is Jesus. And this includes all of his testimony, all of his works, all of his miracles, his death, his resurrection, his rebukes, his challenges, all of it. We don't get to cherry pick the parts that we like about Jesus and the parts that we don't. When we cower to culture, we cherry pick the parts that we like about Jesus and ignore the stuff we don't. But we're not called to cower to culture, we're called to be prophets to our culture. We're called to be a voice and not just an echo. We're called to be people that can speak in the midst of all of the darkness and all of the confusion, which is why we have to fear God and not fear the culture, and not fear the government, and not fear what they say on the news, and not fear what is gonna happen or not happen. We've gotta fear the Lord. Being a Christian this day may mean that you have to carry a label that you didn't wanna carry. You may be called a hater. You may be called a bigot. You may be called not loving. (laughs) But they hated Jesus, and they labeled him too right? Jesus said, hey, they hated me. They're going to hate you. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. That's what you're signing up for when you say yes to following Jesus. That shouldn't surprise us. So we need to fear God. Jesus went on to say this about fearing God in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The truth is this, hell is real and we have a choice. Hell is real and we have a choice. Jesus spoke about hell a lot because he wanted to save people from their lack of fearing God and knowing him. And we know what happens when people stop fearing God. When people stop fearing God, they start doing whatever the hell they want to. And I chose my words very specifically. Because hellish choices always produce hellish consequences. You might want to write that down. I'll say it again. (laughs) Hellish choices produce hellish consequences. Anybody gone through hell and it was your fault? Yeah, talking to myself here. And then some people wonder, but you know, but Jason, how can a loving God send people to hell? You guys have heard that before. Answer, he doesn't. People choose hell when they no longer fear God nor want to answer to him as God or be held accountable for their actions while here on this earth. C.S. Lewis, famous author, theologian, scholar, says, we ultimately have two options in the way that we respond to God. We either say, God, your will be done in my life, or we say to him, I'm God and my will be done. To which he says, okay, have it your way. And let's see how that works out for you. Those are the options. Jesus said it this way, broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. At a time in our culture where people have lost their minds, there's no common sense. Up is down, down is up, left is right. We don't even know how to define what a woman is. (laughs) I'm not gonna go there. (laughs) 
But the truth is, is we're just confused. And what do we lack? We lack the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. The reason why we, we can't make good choices, we can't judge correctly, is because we lack this. We lack fear and we lack knowledge. Which is why as a church, this is our call to make him known, to know him. And this always starts with how you and I personally do this in our lives, how we personally fear and revere him. Number two today, how do we practically overcome our fear of sharing God's story with others? Not only do we need to fear God more than we fear others, we need to trust God more than we trust ourselves. We need to trust God more than we trust ourselves. What do I mean? What I mean is that we often struggle to trust that the gospel, which is God's good story for our lives, is enough to convince people to accept him. We feel like we've got to add stuff to the story. We've got to pepper it with works and demonstrations and packaging, and we've got to throw a bunch of sugar on that spoon so that the medicine goes down easier. The gospel is enough to persuade and convince people to change. It's enough. It's enough. We don't have to add to it. Some of you know who I'm talking about. You, some of your own friends and neighbors and family members. And you don't have to take away from it. And some of you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> People that have redacted the word of God to, to fit the narrative of their lifestyle. Learn this fun fact about Thomas Jefferson, but Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and tore out all the miracle stories because he didn't have faith for them. He couldn't believe them. They were too fantastical. Isn't that crazy? He liked the law. He liked the Old Testament. He liked the Ten Commandments. He liked all that stuff. Couldn't handle the, the miracles of Jesus. So he went through and edited and redacted his Bible and removed all the stories. And I was like, well, there goes all the Gospels. And there goes the book of Acts. And there goes most of Hebrews. And I was like, you left with a very, very slim reading of Scripture. But some of us may not do that to that extreme, but we live lives where we've practically edited, edited out his miracles and supernatural from our lives because we trust ourselves more than we trust God. And I think sometimes we give in to some common errors when we do this. So I just wanna talk about a couple of them and then we'll close. Some of the common errors, you could say, as, as I uh, have them here, common errors that we get into or, or fall into when sharing our faith. Are you ready? Number one, we wrongly think that we don't know enough to answer everyone's questions. Do you ever feel that way? Where you're scared to tell somebody about Jesus or to share the gospel because you feel like, what if they ask me a question that I don't have an answer for? There's times where I feel that way and I've been doing this my whole life. <laughs> There's times where I'm like, I wonder if they're gonna stump me. <laughs> if that's you, let me encourage you. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And the truth is most people don't care what you know anyways. They care more about who you are and they care about if you care about them. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter how much you know until they know how much you care. So we need to trust that God can and will give us words to speak. But do we believe that? I mean, fundamentally. That's, that's what I'm feeling in this room right now. I was like, I don't know. That sounds like a little extreme. Well, let me, let me just share a practical example how this played out in my, my life this week. <laughs> I was on a conference. I was at a conference with my wife and some of our team, as I mentioned. And we were flying home. And we flew from Kalamazoo to Detroit. 
and from Detroit to Seattle and from Seattle back to Salt Lake. And we got up at 3 a.m. and we didn't get home until 11.15 p.m. So it was a long day. And you ever been on one of those flights where you're just tired and you want to be left alone? Yeah? <laughs> they had to drive to Chicago before they flew home, so they had to get up even earlier. But it was just one of those days, and Candace and I, we were just exhausted. You know, you've been there, I've been there. And so we, we checked uh, our bags and we um, got on the flight from uh, Detroit to Seattle. And for some reason, when I had booked the tickets, my wife and I were together, but for some reason, when we scanned our barcodes, they put us in different seats, in different, different locations. I thought, oh, that's kind of odd. And then I'm sitting there, and have you ever been on a plane where you've got like a seat next to you that's empty? Another seat, and you're like, oh, Jesus, please, if you love me, let's just keep this seat vacant. If you ever loved me, let's just, can you just let me have, right? I mean, for those of you that fly first class, you know, whatever. But for the rest of us, <laughs> I was like, God, please, I just want to sleep. I've got four hours till Seattle, and I just, I'm so tired. I just, oh, I just want to sleep. My wife's over on the other side, and I'm over here, and there's a seat next to me, and there's a seat next to me, and then this transgender person comes walking down the aisle and sits right on my right and sits down. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to close my eyes. And, and then I started feeling the Holy Spirit say, hey, I, I split up you and your wife for a reason. There's something I want you to tell this person. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm tired. I was worshiping you at the conference all week, and I was giving you my heart. And, and he said, okay, but now I want your obedience. I was like, ah, and I'm preaching on it this week, and I, I, I can't be a hypocrite, Lord. Okay, what do you want me to say? I want, you to, I want you to share the gospel, and I want you to pour out my love on this person. Turns out I started talking with Latofa, and... Uh, particular person grew up in Syria, Muslim, and left because they were going to murder him for becoming a her. And I said, where did, where did you grow up? He said, oh, uh, Damascus. And I go, I go, funny, I know this story about this guy who was on the road to Damascus and Jesus opened his eyes and blinded him from the lies that he believed and showed him the truth. And he goes, I know this story. I've heard this story my whole life growing up in this community. So there's some Christians that are still there. I said, okay, so you know what I'm talking about then. And so we just proceeded to have this amazing conversation about Jesus and about Muhammad. And his name was Muhammad and he changed his name because he didn't want to practice Islam. And he came to the States as a refugee and he got a job and he's living in New York and just surrounded himself with people that would accept him because everybody else wouldn't. And I said, you know, I just, I want to tell you something. I'm not super comfortable in this kind of exchange, mind you. This isn't my grace place. I'm a pastor, I'm not evangelist, okay? But I just felt the Spirit of God say so clearly to me, you need to tell this person how much Jesus loves them and is for them. And so I said, Latofa, I just wanna tell you, Jesus loves you and he sees you and you are not forgotten 
and you've gone through a lot and I, I can't even tell you what kind of persecution you've already experienced as a Muslim growing up where you are and then with the conflict in Syria and all the things that you're running from, but I can tell you this, Jesus sees you, he knows you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he just started to cry and I said, can I pray for you? And I just grabbed his hand, he had a little, I don't know, a little glove on or something. Turns out he's a drag queen. Followed him on Instagram, saw all this drag stuff. And I was just like, well, God, you, had a, you have other plans for people like that. But sometimes you guys, and just hear my pastor's heart. Sometimes we see the package and we see the appearance and we hear the news bites and we get on Twitter and we get on Instagram and Facebook and we allow that to influence, more, influence us more than the Holy Spirit of God within us. Because God gave his life for that person. Did he not? And it's not your job and my job to change people or to try to argue them into the kingdom. Our job is to tell them about Jesus, to give them good news, to tell them about the man on the way to Damascus who's willing to open up the eyes of the spiritually blind so they can see him. And I just began to pray, God, would you reveal yourself? Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, would you reveal yourself to this man? And he said, oh, I like this. He got all excited. He's like, oh, he's like, you need to come to New York. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> you need to come. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> but it's just amazing. And, I, and I'm like, God, isn't your sense of humor, aren't you funny? God has a sense of humor, you guys. If we're willing to trust him more than we trust ourselves, if we're willing to fear him more than we fear ourselves, Sometimes we wrongly think we have to convince people of the truth. This is false because it's the job of the Holy Spirit to do that. Although it's not necessarily wrong to contend for the truth. Come on, how many of you guys know you can win the argument but lose the person? Husbands and wives? <laughs> right? We need to trust that God can work in and through the sowing of the seed. Jesus said the sower sows the word. He doesn't argue with the soil. Some of us, we get into these debates and we start arguing with the soil of people's lives and it's dirty and it's messy. And then we get dirty and messy and then we're all riled up and we wonder why. Jesus said, the sower sows the word. We are called to sow the word. We are called to speak the word. We are called to share the word. We are called to encourage. We are called to preach the gospel and let God do what only God can do. And sometimes I think because we buy into this whole, you know, preach the gospel and use words when necessary mantra, which I think is bogus, by the way. And here's why I have an issue with it, because the world is so noisy, the, the, the landscape of our lives is littered with sounds and with people who are doing good and good works and corporate philanthropy and giving back. How are your actions gonna even compete? <laughs> How are your actions gonna be loud enough? And I'm not saying I'm not against doing good or giving back or doing good works, quite the opposite. But can I just tell you this? And this is what the Lord is teaching me. Words are always necessary. I could have sat there next to that person on that flight, got my four hours of rest, walked off the flight and felt good. Didn't have to open my mouth, right? But God said, open your mouth. He said, speak. How will they hear, the Bible says, unless someone tells them? We gotta reclaim this church. When people come to our door, I had a couple Mormon missionaries come to my door a couple weeks ago and I have, a, I have the Google ring so I can see who's at the door now and I can like screen my front door calls. <laughs> do you guys do that? Just me? And I was like, I don't have time for this. And God's like, oh really? 
Oh, you don't have time? What's so important? You won't take time to share the gospel with people that are at least searching, <laughs> at least seeking. Mind you, in, in some wrong places, but at least they're open. It's like, all right, well, we're going to find out how open they are in just a moment. Open the door. Hey! <laughs> Proceeded to have an hour conversation with these two young guys, 18 and 19 years old. One of them's from Frisco, Texas, which is where my family lives. And I said, oh, this is cool. God, you've got a sense of humor. But can I just tell you something? When you open your mouth and when you trust that God will give you the words, he will. Like when you put yourself out on the line like that, it's amazing how he shows up. So I just want to encourage some of you in your conversations this week with some of your coworkers and friends. Do they know you're a Christian? And if you were prosecuted in a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a disciple of Jesus? Could people say, I never, when, when you work with people, how many years go by till they find out that you believe what you believe? I can say, honestly, there's been times where I've been in environments for years and people didn't know what I believed. And a lot of it was just excuses that I was making. Well, I'm busy. Well, I've got this. Well, I've got that. Well, right? We all have those excuses that we can make. So don't let that stop you from having spiritual conversations with people. We're doing Alpha on Wednesday nights. Alpha is a great place for people to come and hear about God and just not feel judged, not feel condemned, but just hear good news. Amen. So open your mouth, proclaim the word of God, be a priest and a prophet to your generation, young people. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus is not ashamed of you. And if we believe that, and if we actually trust that our, our message is worth telling, then we can trust that it also has power, which means we don't need to overcomplicate it. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to be clever or cunning. We just need to be courageous. I wonder if I'm talking to any courageous people today. Can I pray for you guys? You guys received that this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.